Do you remember the first time you ever looked through a microscope at pond water? Most of us have had that experience at some point in our school years, in some science class or maybe some science unit. You peered through that microscope and you looked at all this stuff. And it was amazing, wasn't it, to see all of the little creatures swimming around in that drop of water that looked relatively clean to the unaided human eye. One of the little creatures you may have seen in that drop of water was a paramecium. You might remember that, you go, oh, you're bringing back scary memories now, Jeff. It's like, hang on. The ride won't be that bumpy. Things can look very different when viewed at a microscopic level compared to what things look like with the unaided human eye. A drop of water may look like nothing more than a drop of water until it's examined under a microscope, and then a whole very active world is revealed. Here are some other things and what they look like at a microscopic level. Here's a human hair tied in a knot. This next one, this is a caffeine crystal. Very different view of your morning coffee. Here's a butterfly wing. Mold. Mold looks kind of cool microscopically, but when it's on your bread, you don't like it. This is moth wings, or I mean uh, moth eggs. And uh, this next one is brain neurons. Then finally, here's pollen stuck to the tip of a needle. Now, a similar thing can be said about our life in that from an unaided human point of view, things can look one way, but when things are examined under the optic of the Word of God, they can take on a very different appearance. God sees stuff that is invisible to everyone else. God sees through all of the stuff that we try to hide behind. We can hide things from other people, but before God, we are completely exposed. He even knows what's going on in our head, what we're thinking. He knows all of the secrets that we have locked away that no one else knows about. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 it says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you remember how the letter of Hebrews begins? Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse, it says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. The author, he begins the letter telling us that God has spoken to us 
many times throughout human history, with the most significant and profound being his son Jesus Christ, who is the full and complete revelation of God to us in human form. And then over the course of those first four chapters of Hebrews, which we have been looking at over the last few weeks, the author of Hebrews quotes again and again from the written form of God's Word as he talks about how wonderful and important Jesus Christ is for us. The author now pauses for a moment near the end of chapter 4, in the middle of his exhortation to us to appreciate and embrace this great salvation that God gives us in Jesus Christ with a reflection on the profound nature of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. As mentioned a moment ago, God has communicated to us through the prophets at many times and in various ways, as it said in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. And most importantly, he has communicated with us through his son, Jesus Christ. But in our own day, how do we know what God has said to us through his prophets and through his Son, Jesus Christ, and through the apostles of the Son, Jesus Christ? Well, we know primarily through the Scriptures, the Bible, which has recorded God's words in written form. The Bible is the most tangible and readily available form of the Word of God that we have available to us in our day. The Bible refers to itself as the Word of God over 4,000 times. Although the Bible is a collection of 66 different books and letters bound into a single volume, written by some 40 different people over the course of some 1,500 years, there's one single super author, God, Yahweh himself. He's the intelligence who works through these various human personalities to produce the written words that represent the mind of God to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.21, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, those terms, God breathed and carried along by the Holy Spirit, are terms seeking to explain how these written words that we have in the Bible are the Word of God. God didn't just control the minds and the bodies of these human authors so that they became robotic dictating machines. The individual personalities of the authors can still be seen in their writings. But God worked in and through these human authors in such a way that what they said and wrote down was his word exactly expressing his mind and will. The word of God can also come to us through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and actually has come to us through the Holy Spirit. But if we flip over to John 14, chapter 14, verse 15, 
for a moment. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said this. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And if we skip down to verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, tell you all, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. If we jump over to chapter 16, verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And I want to give some words of caution here because some people have misled themselves and gotten themselves into trouble by relying on what they think is the Holy Spirit speaking to them when it really wasn't. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the written Word of God that we have in the Bible. Remember, the written Word of God was produced by the Holy Spirit working through human authors. The Holy Spirit is not going to contradict Himself. If you feel the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something that is against what is clearly stated in the Bible, then it's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's your own crazy-making mind or the devil. But it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to sin or disobey God in any way. We need to be very careful about taking as the voice of the Holy Spirit anything that reaches beyond what's written in the Bible. Remember what Jesus said in these passages that we just read. The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and receives from Jesus. His motivation and purpose will always be to glorify Jesus. It's wise to check in with a trusted, more mature Christian brother or sister about things that we think the Holy Spirit is telling us that are not addressed in Scripture. We need to be deeply and uncompromisingly rooted in the written word of God, the Bible, which provides the fences, the boundaries that we need to, that we never jump outside of. And also, it's good for us to be open to the Holy Spirit, who can communicate with his children at times individually. Our focus today, though, is on the written word of God, which is the bedrock source of God's word for us. It says here, for the word of God is alive and active. The word of God is alive. It's living, it's full of life, it's life producing and life sustaining. In Genesis chapter one, it says that God spoke and his word caused life to spring into existence. His living word produced life. Jesus said in John 6, 63, The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit 
and life. The Word of God is alive and it is active. The Word of God is full of energy and power. It's not passive, but active. It initiates, it moves, it's dynamic, it does things. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold of me. The Holy Spirit takes what might otherwise be just words on a page and infuses them with a living and active nature which changes lives. Isaiah 55.10, God says this about His Word. It says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I, desi what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There are lots of talkers in this world. Everyone has something to say. People talk, talk, talk. In this age of social media, everyone has a voice, making comments and sharing their opinions about everything, but it's all just talk. The Lord's Word, in contrast, it's living and it's active and it accomplishes and it achieves. It doesn't come back empty. It isn't just talk. It changes lives and it moves mountains and it fulfills promises. It can be trusted and relied on. 1 Peter one twenty three. Peter writes this, he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. The Word of God is not only alive and active, but it's also enduring. It lasts forever. It's indestructible. It's incorruptible. It's permanent. It will not change or diminish or fade away. Peter contrasts the frail, temporary nature of human beings and our achievements, our glory, with the enduring, eternal, imperishable Word of God. Our life and glory are like the frail grasses and flowers which last for only a short season, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And it's the enduring word of the Lord that we trust in rather than the fleeting flowery words of people. Back in Hebrews 4.12, says the word of God is alive and active, sharper, than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. At the time the letter of Hebrews was written, a double-edged sword was the most formidable hand-to-hand -hand combat weapon known. I wonder what weapon or cutting instrument the author might have used to describe the Word of God if he had written this letter in our own day. High-powered laser? Plasma cutter, lightsaber, 
It says it's dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The, the idea being expressed is that the word of God is so penetrating and sharp that it can even divide things not intended to be divided. The word of God is sharper than any cutting or penetrating instrument known, able to cut to the very core of a person's being. The word of God cuts through all of our defenses, all of our smoke screens, all of our excuses and justifications. Nothing is safe or immune to the penetrating power of God's word. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. A better translation of the Greek word that the NIV translates as attitudes here might be intentions, which is how many of the other English translations translate the Greek. We usually think of attitude as referring to an arrogant, defiant manner, right? You've got an attitude. Or, well, I have an attitude about da-da-da. And that's included in the meaning of the Greek word here, but the word here carries a much wider meaning that is better expressed by this English word intentions. Because it refers to our motives, our intentions, our purposes, our point of view, our mind's position, our way of thinking, all of the many wily and hidden workings of our mind. The Word of God judges our very thoughts, attitudes, intentions, even the things that we hold as secrets within our hearts are revealed and brought under the scrutiny of the Word of God. There's nothing about us that's hidden from the Lord. We ourselves are not even always sure of what our thoughts and intentions are, but the Lord always knows. He knows what drives us. He knows what motivates us. He knows the mind tricks we play on ourselves. The Word of God, it removes the masks that we wear, peels back the layers that we put in place to protect ourselves, to disguise ourselves, to keep ourselves untouched and safe. Psalm 139, verse 1, the psalmist writes, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. In the passage in Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the armor of God, which has been given to us for standing against the spiritual forces of evil that come against us, In Ephesians 6, verse 17, he tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. First, I want us to note again the interconnection of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Scriptures in our life to guide us, to purify us, to nourish us, to protect us, to fight for us. I want us to also note that it says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, take hold of it and use it. We're to actively engage in the use of the Word of God in our lives. 
We're, we're not to just sit back and expect the Holy Spirit to just do everything for us. It doesn't work like that. We need to put the sword in our hand. The empowering of the sword will come from the Holy Spirit. But we need to put the scriptures in our hands, in our minds, in our hearts. Then we'll see the effect of the word of God upon our life as the Holy Spirit uses it. Simply put, read and study your Bible. Know your Bible. Use your Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Hebrews 4.13 Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I want us to first notice how the writer is now referring to him, which is a reference to God, while in the previous verse he's been referring to the word of God. See, for the writer, there's no material difference between God and his word. The word of God is God, an expression of God. My words are a representation of me and my mind. The things I say are me. I'm responsible for my words. They come from me. They are an external representation of my thinking, my heart, my attitudes, my judgments, my opinions, my beliefs. My words are an expression of me. In a similar way, the word of God is God. This is one of the reasons why the author can say what he says about the word of God. Because the word of God shares the attributes and the characteristics of God. What's true about God is true about his word. Because God is true, his word is true. Because God is eternal, His Word is eternal. Because God is all-knowing, His Word is all-knowing. Because God is alive and active, His Word is alive and active. Before the Lord, all that we are lies completely exposed. We're completely naked before Him. We may be able to conceal a lot of things from other people, but before God, all of our cover-ups and evasions evaporate away. See, in a sense... It's not us who reads the Word of God, but it's the Word of God who reads us. In the end, it will not be other people or even ourselves that we must give an account to or an explanation to, but to the Lord God Almighty Himself. And when we come to this point, realizing that there is no escape from God's all-seeing eye, that all of our excuses and disguises are exposed and stripped away before Him, that everything we have ever done is known by Him, that everything we have ever thought is known by Him, that we have no chance of defending ourselves before His scrutiny and examination. We're undone. We're lost. There's no escape. How can we ever make it? The answer to that question comes in the next verses. See, Jesus Christ is our Savior and our priest, our advocate and representative before holy God. He understands us in all of our weaknesses and is fully prepared 
to help us in every way, encouraging and strengthening us to draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's holiness judges and condemns our sin, but God's mercy and grace wants to forgive and rescue us, provides us with His own Son as our great high priest who has offered Himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and lives forever to intercede for us before holy God. So, using the language here in Hebrews 3 and 4, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart toward him, but rather run, run to him. Don't hide from him, but come to him. Draw close to him. Open yourself to him. Invite him into your life. Let him help you. Let him rescue you and give you a new life, a life of rest in him. It's a blessing to have someone that we can trust who tells us the truth about ourselves. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The Lord is our greatest friend. And He tells us the truth about ourselves. Don't settle instead or the empty flattery and kisses of our self-absorbed culture that tells us we're okay and we're perfect when we know we're not. Rather than lying to us, the Lord tells us the truth and then provides the solution and the help that we need to be forgiven of our sin and to overcome it. In closing, I'd like to read some of the words from Psalm 19. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect. I'm in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Develop a love for the Word of God. As it says in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation 
now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is good. It's delicious. It feeds our soul. It nourishes us. It changes us. It challenges us. It encourages us. It knocks us down and it lifts us up. It revolutionizes who we are, Lord. It helps us know who you are, who we are. It makes us like you. It gives us your mind and your understanding and your appreciation for things. We want to share your mind, Lord, your appreciation for things. We want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word as a powerful instrument in your hands, Holy Spirit, to accomplish those things in us. Bless each one here, Lord, in Jesus' name.